Welcome to the Heart of Acadian, where we present news, stories, and information that further Acadian Company's mission of protecting and saving lives. Okay, well, to pick our story back up, it is summer of 1971. The funeral homes have decided that they will get out of the ambulance business because of the new federal regulations. Lafayette was without any options, and they, they cast their lot with three young young bucks that were very persistent. Uh, talk, talk to us about the, the founding of Acadian. Well, we didn't have any money. We only had $2,500. Um, none of the banks would give us credit because we had no collateral. We went to every bank that said no. We finally were able to buy two ambulances from a company up in Parsons, Kansas. And um, we financed them through GMAC at 16.5%. Interest rates were very high back then. Mm -hmm. And so we, we ordered those ambulances, and we were able to rent an old building over there behind Jacob's Restaurant Four Corners, an old Quonset hut. And um, we put things together the best way we could. The first three months, we slept in sleeping bags on the floor. We only had one desk. We had two phone lines. It was pretty crude those first few years. You know, um, we went back to the man and said, now look, be successful, we have to sell 10,000 memberships, which is what then became my cash to operate on, $15 a membership. But we have to get the banks to help us sell them. He got all upset about that. Well, I didn't know I was getting into this, so he had to call the bank presidents and come meet at the office, and they didn't want to do it. But he told them it was a state of an emergency. There would be no ambulance service, and they had to help out. And so they finally reluctantly did that which somehow gave us more credibility because we're young and here the banks are selling our memberships. Then I went back to them and said, well, now the radio station did all that broadcasting as a public service in Greenville because it was an emergency. You've got to get the TV stations to do that. Here. He said, what? So they had to call the TV station. He didn't realize he was going to have to do all this, mm -hmm. but he, he decided I'm in it now. I've got to make the thing work. I really think that's what happened. And they were very reluctant, but once Channel 3 and 10 got going, they got in competition on public service announcements. The weatherman was talking about, the newscasters were talking, they were running it every half hour. Now, at that time, Channel 15 was operating down there by La Triumph, and they were having financial problems, and so they would go off the air because they weren't paying their electric bill. <laughs> so they were on the air sometimes, and they were off sometimes. <laughs> but Channel 3 and 10 were the only other two stations and that competition, those first couple of years of them seeing who could give us the most attention to sell the most memberships was unbelievable. It was so rough on us that we couldn't process all the mail and the Four Corners branch of the Guarantee Bank came over, we were just two blocks from them, and offered to have the mail brought over there. And all those tellers worked on opening up all those envelopes and processing the $15 check, dollar checks. And I remember Richard Roy and I getting a recipe index box. And it took us four nights to sort those 10,000 cards and get them in alphabetically ordered so that when somebody would call for an ambulance, we'd know whether they were a member or not. That was your, that was your system? That was our system back then. And how many members did your goal was 10,000? And we got 10,400 the first year by hook or crook, I'm telling you right now. We pushed hard on that. It was a, a big deal. Had it not been for the TV stations, and then finally the newspaper joined in at the end. But that's another story for another time when we, we move forward because the newspaper wouldn't give us coverage unless I would show my income tax return every year. 
they wanted to make sure that we wouldn't get rich off of this. Interesting, interesting. So you've got two ambulances at 16% plus interest, $2,500 startup money, 10,400 memberships for your initial capital. Tell me about the actual day that you opened the doors. Before I do that, I want to say that we drove to Baton Rouge and there was a man, Max Constantine, running an ambulance service over there. A nice person, an accountant who sold school buses, then started selling ambulances and by accident got into the ambulance business. <laughs> it, it was okay, but it wasn't top-notch, but it was okay. It, at McDonald's restaurant, he wrote down on a napkin what our budget would be the first year, $184,500. I can't find that napkin, but he laid out how much the medics would cost. Back then, there was no medics. We found Vietnam medics. That's what saved, saved us. He just had ambulance attendants, but we had real medics because once Vietnam came back. At any rate, we, the budget the first year was within $500 of what he projected it to be, so he was a big helper. The two ambulances... My roommate, Richard Sturdy, has got a buddy of his, and they went to Kansas to drive those two ambulances in. We go in business at midnight. They didn't get here till 7 o'clock that night on <laughs> August 31st. We were a nervous wreck. Larry Sides worked for Channel 3 as a news reporter. Ruth Conk worked for Channel 10 reporter, and both of them stayed at our office to record the first call. The first call didn't happen until 10.15 in the morning. A wreck at Surrey Street. The first ambulance broke down two blocks before the wreck, and we had to get out and push it. The second ambulance got there in time to load the patient up. So that was the first call. I don't think I'll ever forget that. I'm, to this point, I'm not sure why that first ambulance broke down, but nonetheless, that was very embarrassing. Fortunately, Larry and Bruce didn't cover that part of the emergency. But I still remember how nervous I was of them waiting, and that was before videotape, the old-fashioned film that they were going to do. You, you mentioned earlier Vietnam medics, and I know that, that, that Vietnam veterans and veterans since have played a big role in Acadian. Talk to me a little bit about that. Once we found the first two Vietnam medics, we realized we were on to something because the doctors love that. Here's people that are really well-trained in trauma, we had trouble with these doctors at night wanting to take somebody to surgery fast and taking the medic with them, and then the ambulance couldn't operate. That was a big problem those first couple of years. I remember hiring a couple of medics that wanted to beat the shit out of me because they wanted, they had served their country, they wanted their time on unemployment. And if they didn't take the job, they would lose their unemployment. So they would get mad that we were hiring some of them. I won't give the names out. But those first, uh, probably, we probably had about 15 at one time, before any EMTs or paramedics. That gave us credibility. That, that, we were more than an ambulance attendant. We were lifesavers, and the physicians in Lafayette, the medical community, embraced us. Lafayette was a more progressive medical community than some of the other places, and they saw what we had going on, and so I remember Dr. Vidrine helped me a lot. He had just opened up his office and didn't have a whole lot of patients yet, so he volunteered the Committee of Trauma to help me, and it didn't take long for him to get the ambulances properly equipped to make sure everybody was following the same protocol. He did a lot to help us those first few years. So people, people may not think about it, but back then, ambulance attendant was the term you used. I mean, basically they were drivers. They had very little training. Something I'll never forget is I had a... 
memorandum from a funeral home that's now closed from 1969, two years, uh, two years before we opened. Mm -hmm. An old memorandum, and it, it stated that when the funeral driver got to the wreck, that he should bring the dead bodies back to the morgue and let the ambulances getting there later pick up the live ones and take them to the emergency room. Now, I think most of the funeral homes here in Lafayette did a good job. But think about this. At the time, they would get $25 for an ambulance call and 2500 for a funeral. There was no economic interest for them. They, they would send patients from Lafayette to New Orleans with just a driver and nobody attending to them in the back. And so the hospital, if they were going to save a life, would have to send their nurse. Or if they just sent them by themselves, oftentimes the patient died. It was sad. So one of your key points of difference back then were, were your Vietnam trained Med medics, yes. the equipment that you put in the ambulance with Dr. Vadrine's protocols. Right. And that really, that really set the, the founding for a, an excellent Yeah, we, we, we got a lot of recognition. We didn't have a whole lot of money. It, it took a couple of years to really get solid here, and then all of a sudden all these other parishes started calling us. And it was pretty tough on us to try to expand because we didn't have enough capital. So what happened is we used that membership money to buy things. So the membership starts out September 1st. Well, the first year we mailed the renewals out July 15th. The next year, July 1st. <laughs> the next year, June 15th. The third year is finally when I got Mr. Red Dumas to start financing us. It took a while to get him involved. And uh, he was very concerned because uh, he was loaning us 100% for everything because we had no money. And he was a pretty tough man, but kind-hearted. And he made a rule that we couldn't take increases on our salary. And that if we were to keep the loan going at the Old Garrity Bank, that we had to bring him the budget for every year. And he had to approve it. Now, today you can really do something like that. But he twisted her arm and said, if we wanted to do it, that's what, that's, that would give him a better credibility. Well, you know, we weren't the smartest when it comes to finances. <laughs> and he was. And I remember we got ourselves in a jam by not raising that membership for a long time. And we were up to $18. And things were bad. We were losing money. And he was worried about us paying the notes. So he organized all the presidents of the police juries for about eight parishes we were in at that time, like 78 or 80, and the mayors. And he had lunch for all of them at the Gandy Bank boardroom. Let me tell you all, he said, they are a private company, but they're operating more like a nonprofit. And I'm going to pull their plug unless you let them have a 33% increase. We want to raise their membership from 18 to 24. <gasps> they all got nervous. I'll never forget this. Well, it's either that or you will take the service back over. And let me tell you going forward, this is his suggestion. I think it's ridiculous for you to have to approve their rate increase every year because it puts the monkey on your back. Fix it so that they can have the cost of living for the medical index on an annual basis. And they don't have to get your approval. If for some reason they need more than that, then they have to come get your approval. Well, they all like that idea. But he's the one that made that suggestion. But that was very hard for us to do because the newspapers all, a candidate ambulance raises rates 33%. That was hard. He said, you need to raise it 4 or 5% every year and not do it every three or four years and make it so big. And that was another learning lesson. It seems like a recurring theme in, in, your, in your story are people that just w went out of their way to, to help. And it's, it's interesting. Back to your your radio station employer that wrote checks to your college to uh, 
obviously, I, I know Mr. Red was such a key part of, of the company and, and of your life. Uh, but that's really interesting that, that so many people... Yeah, it's hard on me because there's hundreds and hundreds of people. I think because we were saving lives and running a public service system, uh, they felt the need to want to help. And they could see how hard we were working at and trying to make it successful. I remember one poll we took probably 12 years or so after we got started on satisfaction and um, patient care, and uh, 80% of the responders uh, thought that we were um, owned by the police trees, that we weren't a private company, that we were a non-profit company operating. That was amazing because we had gotten so many people to help us. So running a public, you know, th this was a different kind of venture than a normal, it was, it was saving lives. And you know, a footnote back to those TV stations, because I had to help my boss renew his license, I would go out to these different mayors in the country towns and have them sign up the paperwork for Channel 3 and 10, and I would go deliver to them about two-thirds of their license renewal. <laughs> and they couldn't believe I could do that for them, and it helped me get better relationships with them. Now, I started paying for the advertising time, but I got special benefits. I got special breaks. I was the first one ever in this way to buy live 122nd TV commercials for those live broadcasts. And I negotiated that all myself, and I had a hard time getting them all to agree to what time, because they didn't want one starting the news before the other one. So it took a lot of finagling for me to be able to do that. But looking back on all that now, that membership program, the radio and television telethon, is part of what created our success. I've heard you say that, that your, your thought at the initial of founding of Acadian was to serve Lafayette Parish, that you never really had a vision or dream to go beyond that. And, and talk about how the other parishes essentially called you and requested at that point. You know, I would have been very happy just to have 10, 12 ambulances in Lafayette, maybe 50 people. It's been hard on me letting it grow so big because it's not as close a family as it used to be. We have family networks everywhere. Each unit has its own family. But I do feel very blessed that we've grown to as big as what we have in a very part of our ESOP that we'll talk about maybe in one of the other podcasts. But um, they were pretty demanding when they'd come tell us that they'd want us to go. And I can remember uh, all these police chief presidents personally coming to see me, and then I would have to get them to promise that they were going to help sell us the memberships, get the banks involved, get the radio stations, meet with all these people. So I had a big list. You had the formula. You just needed to and, 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 and when you go back and look at this, the urban areas make a nice return for our company. Most of these country parishes just break even at best. If we weren't in the urban areas, we couldn't afford to be out in the rural areas. A lot of people don't understand that. Yeah, and that's, that's true today. Yeah, it's because we don't have enough volume out there. But all that expansion put us on the map, and uh, they would twist my arm. I wouldn't expand into Thibodeau because I wanted the whole parish. We don't just do a city. We do the whole parish. And um, the mayor of uh, Thibodeau, I'm having a little bit of trouble with names. We'll drop back in uh, on that later. But... Uh, he came sat in my office like I did in the mayor's <laughs> office and wouldn't leave until I talked to him. And he convinced me to come to Thibodeau when we were going into Terrebonne Parish. He wanted that in the worst way. And he was chairman of the hospital and he was mayor of Thibodeau. And he said, if you come, 
I'll buy a membership for every hospital employee and for every city employee, and I'll get you. That time we needed 4,500 memberships just for that city. I'll see to you how you 4,500 memberships, and he did. That's something I have not forgotten. How many years until uh, until you you really started to go beyond break even? I, and 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 I know you've told stories about meeting payroll, and and that that brings up red again. So please tell me that uh, story. You know, I think it was sometime in the late '80s that uh, he couldn't want to save more money, and I was pretty sure up we weren't going to meet payroll because he'd he'd come to help us a lot. We went way over our limits, but this was bad. And I went to see him um, on a Thursday night at 9 o'clock on his front porch. And that night he deposited next to me and a half dollars in our account to meet payroll. But he made me promise that I would personally go see Governor Edwards. They were way behind on paying me my Medicaid check. And he wanted me to get that check within a week and come deposit the bank. That's what I had to promise him I would do. And I did it. And Edwards helped me out. He realized the jam I was in. And uh, that's something that he that he helped us out in. But it was pressure for me because I didn't want the employees to go unpaid. That would be a disaster. And so I kind of think the first 25 years that we broke even and bought new equipment and expanded, we didn't make a whole lot of money. The money making has come more recently with the expansion of the growth, not just of Acadia, but the other divisions. And you've kept the commitment of um, of the best equipment, the the best medics, the best training. It's gotten awfully expensive, but I try real hard to keep yeah. up with that to make sure that our people are properly trained, that they have the right equipment, and that we do the right thing for the employees, the patients, and the community. And that's very hard to balance all that, but that's a model that we try to work on very, very hard. Now, yes, we've made some mistakes, but we try not to make them more than once. And so... Uh, I'm very proud because while I'm the spark plug and the spokesperson, it's the people I surround myself that made this company successful. And you can give people all kinds of tests, but put them with me for two hours, and I'm about 95% accurate. Either they fit the culture and they're going to work out well, or they don't. And I am a little bit too driven, and so some people don't like working for me because I expect long hours. I like people who work 50, 60 hours a week. And people don't want to work 35 hours a week, don't, don't want them around me. <laughs> I have gotten more moderate, though, because, you know, it used to upset me when they would not be there when I needed them, and they were trying to take time to be at their son's little league game. I've changed a lot of those things. Those were all wrong because I knew how to work, and I want everybody to work like me. That's not the case today. You have to have people have time off. They need to recharge their batteries. And I place family events a very high priority, something I did not used to do. So I've learned as I've grown. And I want to talk about that uh, along with, you mentioned ESOP earlier in our, in our next episode. So let's, uh, let's pick up on ESOP when we come back. Good. Thank you. We hope you have enjoyed listening to The Heart of Acadian. If you have any ideas for topics you would like included in future episodes, please email podcast at acadian.com. For more information about our company, please visit Acadian.com or find us on Facebook or Instagram.